Greetings, my friends. We are all interested in the movies, for that is where we will watch them for the rest of our lives. And remember, friends, future podcast episodes such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the dazzling images on a huge silver screen, the sound that you can feel, the heartbreak that somehow feels good. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimonies of the miserable souls who survived these terrifying films. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. Because we come to this place for magic. We come to this podcast to laugh, to cry, to care. Because we need that, that indescribable feeling we get when the lights begin to dim. Dazzling images on a huge silver screen. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. And stories feel perfect and powerful. Because here, they are. He's looking at you. What do you think about what class in your seatbelts? It's going to be a bumpy and welcome to another episode of in a place like this i'm chris michael smith joined today by michelle st Clair. hey i'm so glad to be here glad to have you on tell us a little, little bit about yourself um oh geez i mean i work as a as a like film editor, professional film editor, as well as just sometimes, I guess, producing. But I've also, you know, uh, got my own podcast, Rating Descending, uh, which is in a variety of places. I don't know. I just have always been a big fan of movies and and uh, big gamer as well. I like a lot of video games. That I feel like they occupy a similar space to me. They're like funky stories you can engage with for escapism. It's great. <laughs> especially for the stories like when i was a kid it was like more about like rpgs and games like that where yeah big final fantasy fan over here <laughs> oh same i was so obsessed with with every rpg but particular uh final fantasy yeah uh very big fan of your podcast i kind of think like there's a bit of like a kindred spirit thing going on between our two podcasts how it's like yeah we approach movies and stuff so yeah i think it's pretty cool i think so you know i i feel like we both have the spirit of like hey movies are pretty rad we don't need to just be shitty about it <laughs> speaking of which what would you say is your favorite movie it's one of those questions it's like impossible to answer because it requires not only like ranking art but it's also like different movies occupy different spaces in your brain my my default answer has become eternal sunshine eternal sunshine of the spotless minds because every time someone asked it would often be the first thing that popped into my head and i was like i guess that's one of my favorite movies but it's just it it is everything i love about a movie all at once in that it's like doing something weird and funky but it's like so humanistic at the same time and it makes me like want to cry every time i watch it kate winslet is phenomenal it's probably uh one of jim carrey it, it is in my opinion jim carrey's best performance uh mm. so well written um and so original too you don't see a lot of like movies like that 
Yeah, well, Charlie Kaufman had a real streak of doing uh, movies that were wholly singular and clearly not by anyone else. Um, And Jim Carrey as well. It's funny because he's, I agree that it's probably his best performance, but for me it competes with The Truman Show, another movie that makes me cry every time I watch it. (laughs) There's something about the end when he's in the storm and just like overcoming it that just like makes me weep up. People like just making it through everyone working against them that makes me cry every time uh, oh come to think now i want to watch the truman show again <laughs> it's, it's a great movie <laughs> those are good choices i think thanks no thanks <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to briefly geek out about um i have been using a lot like a bunch of my free time i've been like overworked and burnt out and stuff and just like relying on video games a lot more than the movies although i've been like watching a bunch of new stuff recently, but I, in particular, I played Elden Ring. That was a great time. And then I have also played, have you heard of the Outer Wilds? Which, it often gets confused with the Outer Worlds, which was an RPG by the same people who did Fallout New Vegas, but this is the Outer Wilds, which is different. I feel like I've heard of that. Yeah, I think it, there was like a point where it became like everyone's, thing they would be like oh have you heard of it and off like no one had actually played it they were just sharing stories about it so this like little indie game uh where you can you're in this like little solar system and at the beginning you get like this little spaceship and so you can just like go up and fly out and go to these different planets through like a 22 minute time loop it's at the end of the 22 minutes a supernova happens uh, wiping you out unless you also just die in which case it just starts again from there and it turns into this thing of like it never specifically says your goal is to do this it's more like you start just exploring the worlds ambiently and then you start like finding pieces of an older civilization and like piecing things together in your mind and your journal tracks it and then it turns into this like it can turn into whatever you want but the ending of it was so supremely like beautiful and incredible and like ruminating on the nature of how everything eventually ends. Uh, but we have all of these connections of people in the meantime that just made me tear up so much. So I would recommend that to anyone. I'll check that out. Is that on uh, PC, PS5? Uh, as far as I know, it's on everything. I mean, because I I'm mostly a console gamer because I sit at a desk all day. I want to sit uh, I want to sit on the couch and I want to turn on the fun box, and it's like that mental separation. <laughs> Elden Ring is one that I um, uh, I struggle with. It's I found it to be very <laughs> difficult. Um, the amount of time that it requires of me, I think, if I really want to enjoy it, I wish I had more of. Mm, it it is a huge time sink i i'm someone i've played video games so much that i've just ambiently become i look i don't want to talk up my own skills but i think i think i'm pretty good at games i've i beat a lot of games like by default on the hardest difficulties and try and get all the trophies and stuff um because i just i like the challenge of it so elden ring was supremely my jam but the beginning of it is especially really hard but then you sort of like get more equipment and learn the systems. You can just like run away from shit a lot of the time. And it's not so bad for a lot of it. <laughs> That's what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> yeah. I'm over here like happy because I'm playing Final Fantasy Origin, the Stranger in Paradise. Oh yeah. And I'm happy that there's a mode that like, we're not going to go too hard and you just enjoy the story. And it's like <clears throat> the ultimate easy mode. And I'm like, give me that. I want more of that. 
Yes. See, look, I like hard games, but it's it, for accessibility. There should be different modes, not just easy mode, but all sorts of options. You know. I read somewhere that I forgot what game it was, or it was on another podcast that I listened to. How did this get played? Oh, yes, that's one of my favorites. Uh, they were talking about one of the one video game has a mode where it's like if you're losing a lot, it will suggest an easier difficulty for you, like. <sighs> Ah, I hate that though. <laughs> or if I don't know, I don't know if it does it the opposite way, where if like you're get, you're plowing through it too easily, it's like, hey, hey, you want maybe a little bit more of a challenge? Or well, that's why I like like recently, Last of Us Part Two had an enormous amount of accessibility options. It was like praised by a whole bunch of disability advocates. My sister has Down syndrome, so I've been like around disability uh, activism for my whole life. Um, and just so many people were praising the hell out of it because it's not just like, hey, it's easier. It's like individual tweaking of like, oh, well, if you're a blind player and there's a lot of visual cues, then you can make them like turn those things off and make them more make the enemies more based on the audio cues. So you, you're still playing the same intended difficulty. It's just not utilizing the same mechanics. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's really, really cool the way that you can tweak those games. And I found like, one of my favorites in that was Celeste. Did you ever play that? I have not. It's great. It's like famously hard, but it offers you like a thousand, what it calls like cheats. And it kind of encourages you to use them because it's like the whole game thematically is about overcoming adversity. So rather than doing the old like super meat boy, like you suck, get better, bro. It's like, hey, everyone struggles and has challenges. If you ever need a little help, we'll give you that little boost. And I'm like, thanks, man. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, as long as it's like non-judgmental about it, yeah, I'm down with that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. It's back. It's called a spell backwards. This is their kingdom. You see? You see? Your stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. How to get burned. How to get burned. How to get burned. How to get burned. I don't know. There is no way out of here. It will be dark soon. There is no way out of here. Now, who wants to go home? wants to go with me so today we're going to be discussing um heavy air quotes here bad movies Mm. (laughs) um of course bad movies that we love to watch personally like yeah um do you have happen to have a favorite one of those um so like you know (laughs) we already mentioned the, the sister podcast, Rating Descending, where you know, we talk about uh, movies that other people have rated bad. Rather, we have no choice in the matter, which I think helped us. Uh, I Because I, it's so hard to pinpoint a favorite bad movie. I think if I can give two answers, one of them is Lake Placid. Have you ever seen that? I've seen bits and pieces of it. Oh, my God. Mainly <laughs> any scene with Betty White. Yeah, it's it's pretty notable for Betty White as like cursing grandpa, which is a real thing of the writer. It was the same guy who wrote Ally McBeal. Um, I love that because my mom was obsessed with that movie and it's like kind of how she got me into bad movies because she also really liked a lot of bad movies because it's, it's just like trying to be a horror comedy and it's like not really funny when it wants to be funny and it's not really scary when it wants to be scary and instead it just ends up this weird mess of like uh bill pullman and uh was it bridget fonda just like struggling to pretend to be a human being for 90 minutes 
I do want to see it all the way through, though, because it looks like that right amount of, like, schlocky action thriller. Um, yeah. And again, Betty White, I'll watch anything that she's in. Oh, yeah. And she is great at it. It's it's also notable. It's got doing clearly like a Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. Like, here is the sexy scientist, but it's Oliver Platt, who is not bad but just doesn't fit that mold at all and i think it's also got brendan gleason who's like one of the best actors of his generation clearly so checked out that it, occasionally it sounds like he's reading stage directions like he, he's <laughs> insane re- line reading on every single take <laughs> this makes me want to see it even more it's it's really i would absolutely recommend i mean like because that and movies like ultraviolet which are just barely even a movie it's a different thing it's a whole other form of cinema that was probably one of my favorite episodes of your podcast like oh thanks that was that was a fun one um especially because i remember seeing ultraviolet in theaters oh wow yeah and being like what is this and then like hearing it on the podcast again it's like oh you know what this makes sense and i i gained a better appreciation for it I think it helps that I had already, not only had I already seen it so many times, but also our the, our guest of the week, Shane, who was also a guest on, on this. Yeah, uh, he, he'd also seen it. So we came in like big defenders of it. <laughs> oh, that's always fun to like take a bad movie and defend it. Um, for me personally, I'm going to choose the basic answer, and that's going to be Plan 9 from Outer Space. Fair. Absolutely fair. <laughs> I can just throw that on and watch it at any time. It, I even on Letterboxd threw it on my top 25 uh, this year's yeah. version of it. Uh, I just think it's such a joy to watch. Um, and, totally agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like the like what I like about it is that the line between what Edward is doing on Plan 9 and what Robert Rodriguez is doing on El Mariachi is so thin and we just it, it he's just a product of his time right like if it was 30 years later we would say he's the greatest indie filmmaker that there is <laughs> i think so too like um well all i knew really about ed wood was what i've seen in the tim burton film yeah um i believe i That's saw that one before i saw plan nine but like yeah it, i was actually the same it helped me appreciate Plan 9 more. Mm. Um, I got to see Plan 9 on the big screen because Rift Tracks did their live cool. uh, event. That was that was a lot of fun. And Rift Tracks, they're great. I love them. Uh, probably why I love bad movies so much is because of Mystery Science Theater 3000. We Maybe I just missed it, but from what I hear from, from other Americans, it was just like, on TV on some deep channel or something? I think it started on, was it either Comedy Central or Sci-Fi and then gravitated to the other one? I just forget which one was which. Yeah, that's that's fair. I feel like we didn't have it here, so I've just heard references to uh, Mystery Science Theater with, like, hushed tones of awe my whole life (laughs) oh it's great it's like you watch the entirety of this like really poorly made heavy air quotes movie you see a silhouette of like a movie theater audience and their shadows like watching the movie with you 
and they're just making comments the whole time. It's great. Perfect. I love that. That uh, that feels like it would exactly feel that feeling of like uh, telling your friends like, hey, you got to come over. I got this DVD of this schlock and then you all make fun of it. But but you could do it by yourself. <laughs> I, would have, I would have loved that as a lonely teen. <laughs> I'm sad that it never made it over there. Like, it's such a good show. I know. Yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe it did. But... Netflix briefly had like, a new season of it and Patton Oswalt was like one of the like live characters in it. Uh, I don't know what happened to it or why Netflix no longer carries it. I, I think uh, it was probably one of those things, you know, Netflix always does that of like, Hey, everyone's been calling for this to come back. So we'll do it because everyone will watch it once. And then, you know, we don't really need to support and nurture this because we don't actually care about it. We just wanted you to go, well, I love that Netflix did this pretty much. And they don't even have it on the network anymore. And that makes me so sad because I want to go back and watch because they did one on Mac and Me, which is one of my favorites. Oh, another one I got to see on the big screen. Um, Really? We have a local uh, art theater that, um, shout out to the Frida Cinema in Santa Ana, California. Um, (laughs) They were playing, um, they'll play all kinds of movies like uh, classics. They'll play like independent movies that are just coming out i think they right now they're playing the re-release of uh, everything everywhere all at once um, cool. but they they had like every month they would play like one bad movie not including their monthly screening of the room because they do that <laughs> but um they they did mac and me and that was they, they had happy meals provided for us with specialty specially made boxes yeah it was it was a lot of fun and that movie was just bonkers it was a joy to watch that's am i am i remembering right is that the one that famously paul rudd has like done a 20-year prank to conan o'brien of always playing that clip yeah that's that's such a good bit (laughs) shameless et ripoff uh shameless mcdonald's commercial uh there's a a long dance sequence inside of a mcdonald's (laughs) <laughs> for no reason <laughs> but it's magic i love it that's so good no i i i haven't watched that since i was a kid so i gotta rewatch it it's just like a uh nostalgia this is gonna be fun schlock <laughs> an 80s schlock which is the best kind oh, absolutely and uh, why do you think um I, I mean i think we kind of like gra- answered this a little bit why do you think we would gravitate towards like bad movies for me i think they're more than anything just fascinating like i I mentioned my mom like nurtured the like hey this is kind of fun and enjoyable and it's like such a different kind of fun than a bad than just a straight up good movie but not that different you know like i think sometimes when you watch a really good movie you're like appreciating the cinema but it makes me like appreciate the people making it and the uniqueness of it and sometimes watching a bad movie it's like either the the plan nine thing of like this person is trying so hard to fulfill their dream and then there's the like equal equally fascinating to me lake placid or like wild wild west like every every element of this went wrong when it should be like, there's so much money and talent behind this. It should be structurally impossible for this to happen. It, it, how did this happen? <laughs> oh, those are fun too. I love those. It, and yeah. my weird relationship with those is like, um, I have a tendency to 
I'll watch it the first time and I'll hate it. I'll think this is horrible. Who thought this was a good idea? And then over time, I'll like some, for some reason, watch it again. And then I'll develop like an ironic love for it. And then that irony dissipates. And then I just love it unironically. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that, that line is so thin of the loving it ironically. And then it just becomes like, no, I love this. I mean, a famous, <laughs> it's, I have, I had that in very rapid, very rapidly with urban legends Two, a movie that I still will defend. I don't know why it's considered bad. That is a good movie. <laughs> well, I will defend it with you. That one was a good movie. <laughs> yeah. I think like that's the distinction between like those kinds of bad movies and say like, the 20 the uh whenever it came out the original suicide squad which is like that's that's that movie's a train wreck but it's just like man it feels like nobody really cares and it's just like sludge yeah uh there's a movie that came out this year that uh i felt that way about and i've kind of thrown a bit of shade on the podcast at it a few times (laughs) by briefly mentioning it and then moving on to something else um so i'll try not to talk about morbius too much (laughs) (laughs) it's the same thing if it was worse i'd like it more (laughs) it's like it's not bad enough for me to be like this is great and there are moments where it could have been like there are moments where of like pure camp that they just didn't push far enough and it just took itself way too seriously it's why i think ghost rider 2 was a was a better experience than ghost rider 1 even though the first one is clearly a quote better movie but it's 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 trying too hard to be serious and like it's Ghost Rider. It, what are you talking about? <laughs> There's no like secret sauce to it. I feel I just feel like you just have to know when to like pull back and when to like just have fun with it. Yeah, I think it's because it feels honest, right? Like Suicide Squad is like this is art, and I'm like I know you know that's not true because you clearly hate it. <laughs> As much as I, there are things I could pull from Suicide Squad that I thought were very good. I loved Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. And, yeah. as, and in fact, uh, her in Birds of Prey, which I thought was fantastic. Like, yeah, it was fun at the very least. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I can gravitate towards something that like is bad, but like at least it's fun to watch. Yeah, exactly. That's like the and I I think the fun doesn't just come from it being like campy. It is for me that honesty of it of like this is what we're making. <laughs> it's weird, but we know it's what you want. It's like the equivalent of KFC, every other fast food brand going, "Hey, we have health things." And I'm like, "McDonald's, you're not kidding anyone you don't give me apple slices kfc is like here's your bucket your chicken you fat and i'm like you're right i'm a slobby little piece of shit (laughs) but that also makes me wonder too because um do you ever have you have you listened to unspooled i kind of it's kind of like the inverse of your podcast (laughs) they they, uh (laughs) they look at the afi top 100 and now they're they've branched off uh but they did a recent episode where they talked about Blade and um, they were talking, talking it up so much. They clearly enjoyed this movie a lot. And then uh, Paul Shear is like, yeah, but would I call it a great movie? And then he struggled with that. And I'm wondering why not? I, yeah, it's, it's such an interesting question. It's, I think it's why it on some episodes, 
where we had like like Ghost Rider 2 or Ultraviolet. It's like, is this a good movie? No, but I don't think it's, I think it's trying to be like a different thing than a movie. And it's doing, I think it's doing that kind of really well, <laughs> you know? I've asked this question before, because like, uh, say something like the Super Mario Brothers movie, where my question was, if this movie is bad, why am I entertained every time I watch it? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it's like, because I don't necessarily agree with the take. At like, as someone who has been a film teacher for years, I resent when students are like, oh, you know, it's it's all subjective anyway. And they usually say that to either deflect criticism from teachers about their shitty short films, which is fine. They're supposed to be shitty. They're students. They wouldn't be learning if they already knew how to do it. Um, or when someone points out that a movie they like is probably not great and they're like, no, it's all subjective. You can't rank art. And I'm like, I don't know, man, maybe just watch a non-Marvel movie and expand your view of cinema is more what I'm saying. Like, I think there is an objective, like, form, you know, in the same way that there's, like, good dance form, but then you can still be, do a good dance that breaks that. Yeah. Yeah. Or there's something that, like, accidentally becomes good. A lot of, like, even great films happen because of, like, happy accidents. Like, when you think about Jaws, like, that movie is great because the shark didn't work and they had to think outside the box to, like, make it scary. Yeah, and it works so much more effectively. But I I feel like there's that, like, um, oh, what what am I, (laughs) what am I even saying? There's that thing of, like, I've, I've watched movies that I guess are, like, objectively good and I don't particularly care for them because it's just, like, not my kind of movie. And I don't even mean, like, I've, like, a lot of classic movies that are slower and older. Nah, like, uh, uh, Rashomon is fucking great, and Citizen Kane zips, you know? It's funny, yeah. (laughs) But sometimes, you know, like, those kind of Oscar bait movies where you're like, yeah, you did everything right, I just don't care. Like, that's that's why I reference um, A Good Year so much. It does, it's, it doesn't do anything wrong. It's cinematic form is perfect it's just i don't like it (laughs) i kind of feel the same way like i don't think it was a very a poorly made movie at all but there it felt like something was missing Mm. like it's it's lacking a heart you know yeah like some kind of joy some kind of like and they tried so hard and they got like all the right filmmakers behind it ridley scott i think directed that one yeah um, Which is but, why it's so surprising. Yeah, <laughs> but it just didn't quite come together. But I can see like why that's like the the sort of like baseline. Like, okay, do we like it more than this or less than this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it is an empty but well made movie as opposed to like <laughs> Ghost Rider Two is and and Urban Legends Two are they're punk rock, <laughs> right? Like. Punk is sloppy. The f- fucking Mick Jones is bad at playing the guitar, objectively. Paul Simonon didn't know how to play the bass in their first few albums for the, of The Clash, but, like, they've f- changed music, man. <laughs> Nicolas Cage movies in general have that sort of vibe to them, unless the only one that was self-aware that worked was the most recent one, because that was, like, built yeah. around that. But, like, movies like The Wicker Man, which... 
so hilariously like over the top. Oh my god, just insane. <laughs> uh his reading of how did it get burned, how did it get burned, like Yeah. That's that's why I I think I I feel like it's almost like enjoyment of the movie is a different metric of is it good or bad. Yeah, I could see that. But I think we we give like good and bad like moral weight. And that's why it's like, I wanted when it's like, is it bad? I'm like, well, no, because I enjoyed it. So it's not bad. It's like, yeah, it's not evil. <laughs> I'm like the, I'm the kind of person who gives a lot of five-star reviews on Letterboxd. And I'm okay <laughs> with that. Like, yeah. if I love it, it gets five stars. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it turns out just like one, a single set of numbers might not actually be a perfect system to rate and rank art. <laughs> Especially when it's like an anonymous metric and people are going into that with like, say not the best intentions because yeah. maybe the movie wasn't made for them or about them. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a common thing of like, I didn't get this. Thus it is bad. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Or why, why, why does this have to be all woke or oh forced diversity? It's just, uh, I mean, it's just gibberish at this point. It'll just be a woman, and they'll go like forced wokeism. It's just meaningless. <laughs> it should not be surprised that this came up with the movie Prey, which was oh. just so good. The movie was fantastic, but oh my gosh, forced diversity, wokeness, and Mary Sue, even though she was actually training to fight this thing, like well, it's it's always just things I liked as a kid are good. And everything new is bad. It, it's the Star Wars effect. <laughs> the prequels are good now because I liked them when I was 10. <laughs> yeah, which is funny because everyone hated the prequels when they came. Not everyone, but like Star Wars original trilogy fans hated the prequels when they came out. Yeah, or, or uh, arguably more than the backlash against Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, which were so severe that I, a, long, a long-lived Star Wars fan, was almost like, I, I might need to give up. I, it's not worth it to live through this <laughs> yeah like the i i read somewhere that it actually like had like irreparable effects for um jake lloyd the kid who played anakin in the first movie yeah Ahmed um, best. and Ahmed best yeah. yeah and i'm gonna be honest i saw that one uh confession time episode one was my first full star wars movie that i watched Oh, same. So I saw that one in theaters, and I love Jar Jar. Like, I thought Jar Jar was hilarious. Yeah, he's fun, especially when you're a kid. He's just like the big silly guy. Whatever. (laughs) He's no more silly than anything in the originals. (laughs) The originals had Ewoks. (laughs) And I love the Ewoks, too. Not gonna lie about that. (laughs) When I I was a kid, Attack of the Clones easily, like, almost objectively, on the note of if we enjoy them, are they bad— Attack of the Clones is the worst Star Wars movie, but when I was 10, it was my favorite movie. <laughs> was, I loved it when it, when it first came out, because, like, that was the one where Yoda fought. Like, Yeah. <laughs> it's cool. They're in space. You get to see uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin hanging out and stuff. Gosh, did this age particularly well? Uh... It's, a, it's a slog. It's two hours 20, like, and it really should be 90. Yeah, so they, there's some stuff that could have been cut, I think. And maybe, you know, on location shooting, but it, 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 was a, it was George Lucas's new toy. He wanted to try it out. It's the first movie shot entirely in 1080p. Like, the, he's still reinventing and innovating cinema. It's, it's not his fault that that one was 
worse at the beginning than CG was in the 80s. True. (laughs) Uh, So we talked a little bit about Ed Wood and Plan 9 from Outer Space, and arguably he made the movie he wanted to make um, his way. Uh, Whether that worked out for him, I think over time it did, but just not right away. He's a tragic figure to me, and as much as I do love the Tim Burton Ed Wood because it feels like a celebration... But I, I don't like how it handles Glenn or Glenda because it, at one hand, wants to humanize him whilst also portraying it as disgusting when it's c- very clearly a trans narrative. And I uh, maybe it's because of, like, the way Hollywood looked at it, like, in the 50s. Uh, or and, and let's get real here, also the 90s. That was, like, the same year Ace Ventura Pet Detective came out. Um, <sighs> yeah. But yeah, I don't think they understood it. Yeah. Look, as a trans person, sometimes you can't pick and you can't be choosy when going back and trying to go like, like I can choose against Ace Ventura, uh, but at the same time with Ed Wood, I'm like, yeah, it's just some things that are harmful if I view it as a trans narrative. But it's like one of four movies I can do that with. Let me have this. <laughs> uh, like I, I, even like looking at it from like a, a, a cis gay perspective, like there are some portrayals of you know, gay individuals in the past. Yeah. Not necessarily, even like, even if the actors are gay are still kind of like, okay, I can reclaim this, but at the same time, I understand why this is like a joke at our expense. To Wong Fu is a great example of like meeting in the middle there. Cause it's in text, like she's a drag queen and it's John Leguizamo. And it's like, it's very clearly a trans person. And there's a lot of, of real weirdness about how you're portraying this but but if you just kind of mentally rearrange it it actually is kind of a endearing portrayal of this real person a bit of a modern day edward um even though i I, he might have made other movies but there's only one that really sticks out uh tommy wiseau yeah and the yeah I am so happy that I was the person who introduced my larger friend group to the room, like right at the beginning of it becoming a, a huge phenomena. So it was at that point where people were still going, oh, I found this copy of the room because it was hard to find. <laughs> yeah. By the time I saw it, it was like on the Netflix, but Netflix, the mailing service, not like the... Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was when they were still doing that. <laughs> or they still are. They still are, right? use it still (laughs) really yeah i i that's how i was watching um certain movies i could only find on there because they haven't made a streaming version of it my introduction to that was like when riff tracks was uh was like uh advertising their take on it i'm like i've never even heard of this movie but they showed that one scene where he's up on the rooftop going i did not hit her it's not true and i'm like (laughs) what is this movie (laughs) and then like at the end of it he's just like Oh, hi, Mark. And I'm like, the tonal shift there. <laughs> it's, it is, it's so fascinating because it becomes like a study in the one person, which is why I think The Disaster Artist, a movie that I understand critiques against, but I really enjoy it for its attempt to both understand and humanize uh, Tommy Wiseau took the right tactic of like, it's about these people, not about this movie. The movie is totally superfluous. The movie is just how we all got an insight into one of the, 
weirdest people alive at this moment in time. <laughs> and apparently he's been a good sport about that too. He's been, it, it, he turned around. It's like, okay, this is a comedy now and I'm going to promote it as a comedy. Um, yeah. Well, cause he's an opportunist at heart. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's now become a midnight movie like Rocky Horror. Yeah. Again, my local theater, uh, independent art theater plays it like every month, uh, one showing at midnight. And it usually sells out. Like, it's still pretty huge. I just love how it's like, it is exactly what you were talking about before of like that li- that line of irony of like, I love it ironically, but that also means you kind of just love it. And it's like, you always know it's bad, but it it so easily could have become like, it, it turned awful and just been mean, but it always feels like celebrating the specificity of this movie. <laughs> it's like it crosses that threshold of weird just enough where it's like endearing. It, yeah. And it, it allows us to brush past the weirder, like there's three sex scenes in the first 20 minutes. His back looks like it's made of Play-Doh. There's so many. One of my favorite bits is so niche which is right towards the end. They're all like coming around Lisa. It's like at that final party and her friend, Michelle, that's my name. um, At one point is like, are you feeling okay? And goes to like put her hand on it. But it's that clear like differentiation between professional actor and non-professional actor. If she like really shakily moves her hand towards her and then kind of slaps her on the forehead accidentally. so specific but the movie has one of those like every two seconds <laughs> yeah and just like the weird di- lines of dialogue where like denny like joins them in bed and he's like i like to watch you guys <laughs> and also greg sestero going keep your comments in your pocket <laughs> the um the friend in the white shirt who clearly is there to replace the guy with glasses uh towards the end who <laughs> i feel like i'm sitting on an atomic bomb and it's going off <laughs> <laughs> who are you <laughs> that one is like up there with like if the room is like the citizen uh, if a plan nine from outer space is the citizen kane of bad movies the room has to be like i guess the godfather yes <laughs> yeah perfect analogy <laughs> another really good one is troll 2 mm, i haven't seen that in so long but it's it's still burnt into my brain <laughs> the the one line that gets me every time is they're eating her and then they're gonna eat me oh my god <laughs> the most bored <laughs> scream the bit that always gets me is the the witch transforming into a hot woman and then they're just like the soundtrack goes from really awful spooky music to uh sort of not even actual pornography music but like everyone's impression of porn music being like ba 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 wow as she's just like doing this like two steps forward one step back sexy walk to the trailer there's no one else outside at that point there's just someone inside eating popcorn but she's still doing the sexy walk all the way over (laughs) what's great about that movie is i don't think anyone is there even a troll one (laughs) there is and it's not related it's completely unrelated yeah i it's, this one's about goblins too, not necessarily trolls. I remember reading about the history of this and it was called like Goblin or Hobgoblin or something. And then a producer decided to just retitle it Trolls 2 to try and make people think it was a sequel. 
but but it isn't it's like barely like not related at all (laughs) it's not the same creatures to be fair though like i hear more more people talk about troll 2 than troll 1 i mean maybe not necessarily for the right reasons but to say i still love the specificity of they don't eat meat they're vegetarians but they eat people because they turn them into loose vegetable mass first (laughs) Uh, manos the hands of fate is another one i really enjoy i actually haven't seen it it is an icon of bad movies a friend of mine uh shout out to my friend theo has recommended to me for years and i just haven't seen it i know it's on we'll cover it at some point on the podcast but i've just never come across it well manos like i believe that's like i know that's like the latin word for hands and there's like big giant hands on his cape. I'm not sure what what the significance of that is. They don't really explain it in the movie. Well, they're the hands of fate. <laughs> it's supposed to be a horror film, but like everything about it is just hilarious. His sidekick is this uh, character, Torgo, uh, has this very unique look to him. And he's like, uh, apparently he's supposed to be a satyr, but you don't oh. really see it. Like, he's wearing so many clothes that it's, like, concealing that. He just walks really weird. (laughs) That's great. And that might also be because, like, the version that I've seen is the Mystery Science Theater 3000 version where, like, the bottom portion of the screen is covered by the silhouette of seats. So maybe that could be it, too. Maybe it's more obvious. I sincerely doubt it. Yeah. But it's one of those classically bad movies that I really enjoy, along with uh, Birdemic, Shock and Terror. Which is another one, like, I feel like there was a point in time where The Room, Manos, Hands of Fate, and Birdemic were all seen as equivalently bad. They were like the three pillars of bad movies, but then The Room just took off in popularity. But I've never seen Birdemic either. I've heard so much about it. It's just bad, the birds, right? Uh, um, the, The visual effects are basically just... A flapping ver- a bird uh, clip art. <laughs> Excellent. It's, Excellent. Yeah, my only issue with Birdemic is that after a while, it does kind of like gets it gets slow. Like it's one of those yeah. things. Like if it were like maybe half an hour shorter, I would enjoy it a lot more. I, a lot of potential excellent like bad movies to watch have that problem of like the novelty wears off 45 to 60 in and then you're kind of left going like i guess part of why this is bad is there's no structure to the story i kind of just need it to end (laughs) pretty much what doesn't seem to have that problem though in my opinion anyway are like the 90s and 2000s movies based on video games Mm. This it's such a distinct era of video game movies. Yeah, um, we mentioned Super Mario Brothers earlier. Uh, oh my god! Another one of those oh, beautiful train wrecks. Like yes, see that one stays fresh all the way throughout because it finds new ways to throw crazy bullshit at you. Loved about because when I was a kid, um, I'm old. I, I didn't see it in theaters. I remember when it came out in theaters, but I didn't get to see it until it was out on VHS. Um, aging myself a little bit, I know, but, um, uh, I remember loving it. Like when I was a kid, I was all about that. 
And I'm thinking back, like, Super Mario Brothers didn't really have the lore that it does now. So they were really not working with a whole lot when they made that movie. Yeah, it's it's not like the uh, original NES and Super Nintendo games are, like, dense with lore and explanation. <laughs> jump jump <laughs> you know? on these little Goombas and, you know. Yeah, like, when I think about the Super Mario Brothers movie, one of the most, like, weird decisions to me that also totally tracks is the way they treat mushrooms. Cause it's so much about like loose, like fungus and slime mold that is like weird and gross to look at, but it's also like, well, yeah, I mean, mushrooms are prominent and Goombas are mushrooms and it's never really, there's no point until later that they ever really go into anything other than mushrooms are crucial in super Mario brothers. And I guess in the movie, they're like, well, there's a lot of mushrooms here. <laughs> I, maybe I would have liked to see one of them make him, like, grow bigger. But, you know, I yeah. feel like with um, especially the way Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo played it and <laughs> the, with a straight face, like, the most indignant, like, what do you mean? Like, how, how does this sound weird to you? Is, like, when the guy's asking him his name and he's like, Mario, and no, no, you're last name and he's like mario like what did you think my last name was which is like still canonically the case like that's not exclusive to the movie and i just think it's so funny the idea of the mario like parents like uh uh, uh susan mario and giuseppe mario going our first son is named mario after the family name and our second one is named i don't know luigi he could be garbage for all i care <laughs> that, that even came up in like toy commercials because they had a line of action figures for this movie and i remember like this kid playing with these toys in this commercial going mario mario and luigi mario with the full like new york accent and everything and i'm like this is this is when i was a kid i wanted those toys and as an adult i'm like the audacity i love it what's also like these movies are, this movie is pre charles martinet right so the wahoo uh, you know, kind of voice isn't there yet. The oh no, it, that has that wasn't there was no voice acting. I, I this is around or at least I think pre Mario sixty four cartoon series and Captain Lou Albano. Yeah, which was like hey, New York, I'm Mario. So <laughs> Bob Hoskins was channeling there, and you know I thought he did a pretty good job. Bob Hoskins clearly spends the entire runtime of the movie wishing that he was in Who Framed Roger Rabbit again. Yeah, he definitely channeled that character too. <laughs> yeah, but knowing that he hated the script more, so he's just more bored with it. Like Wazamo is giving it. Yeah, he's trying. He's try even Dennis Hopper with his like over the top Koopa, President Koopa, not King Koopa. That they evolved from dinosaurs. It's like alternate dimension earth instead of like mushroom kingdom that we all know and love i don't know that's an i love that aesthetic i feel like it it says something about the form of movies like movies often trade in short stories like that was the thing that um kubrick understood better than a lot of his contemporaries is that no 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 you can't adapt a novel because you have to rip out a lot of what makes it a novel you adapt a short story because that's what a movie is. It's like two hours, you know? Um, and so you don't need to explain it when it's that kind of poetry, but also because it's real, unlike, say, animation, you don't have that, like, 
uh, buy-in, like your cognitive dissonance is lower. When you see animation, you can see people do weird things and you're like, yeah, that makes sense to me, uh, you know? But in when it's like real people, you're like, I need to understand it. And video, like Super Mario Brothers doesn't explain anything. It's just, you start like one, one, you're a little guy. And then here's a mushroom coming at you. I don't know. The world just looks like this you <laughs> pretty much pretty much uh, I, th- I feel like they struggled to go like how do we explain it and the answer was like maybe you shouldn't have explained it and if you're going to explain it might as well just do the most bizarre thing you can think of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and people will still be talking about it 30 years later a uh, street fighter came out the year after that which choices were made there <sighs> I it's one of those movies that I know so much about. I've never watched it because I wasn't into Street Fighter until actually like end of last year when my girlfriend was was sad and I wanted to like buy her a game we could play together. And I know that she used to like fighting games. So I was like, I'll get a Street Fighter five. You know, they just they made it cheap and they finally released all the DLC. Cool. Let's get it. And instantly I was like, oh, fuck yeah, I love this. I love this way more because I had like Tekken as a kid. Which, which is fun, but I don't like how much they like trade in. You have to know these super long combos. Yeah, that's my issue with with fighting games. Is my hand eye coordination is terrible, but I could never memorize them. It's just memorization games. But Street Fighter is like you. Every combo is like two, maybe three buttons max. It's just about piecing them together. That I I find makes the like buy in of being able to feel like I'm playing actively rather than just kicking uh, constantly so much easier. And yeah, we just got hooked on it. Yeah. I remember playing the arcade game a lot when it was like just playing street fighter two before they added all the bells and whistles with all the, the championship <laughs> edition and super uh, turbo and all that stuff. Um, this movie comes out. Uh, you would expect they would go with Ryu as your lead character. Um, Instead, they chose Guile. Which, oh, it bums me out. Some Of that era, the least interesting character. Yeah, I think so too. Except when he's played by Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> okay. I believe you. That guy, which is also a weird choice for like the all-American guy. But that's okay. He had the American flag tattoo on his arm. And it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> His speech at the end that, like, riles up the troops to, like, go after M. Bison is iconically bad, but I love it. What makes that movie, what holds that movie together even more is Raul Julia as M. Bison. Uh, There's (laughs) probably the only scene that actually matches up with the game. Uh, Chun-Li is, like, going after Bison because Bison killed her father. And he delivers this line, um... For you, the day M. Bison came to your town was the most important day of your life. And for me, it was Tuesday. And that was the delivery of that line. Raul Julia, he's like, he loves his, loved his craft. Like that, that is a good line. That goes hard. (laughs) And and it's such a great scene in a movie that is otherwise considered like really bad. Yeah. I mean, look, I love the street for one i like the street fighter lore more than say like tekken because it it is trying less edgelordy and i love the like insane stuff that video games do means that cammy was cammy in the movie yep she was uh, a right. kylie Mac- kylie minogue uh, 
God. <laughs> I love Cammy in part because when I was playing, I liked playing at her because of the, the she just seemed to control well with how I was naturally doing it. But also, like canonically, she is M. Bison's clone. Not like daughter, which it was first hinted, but clone, which I I love because for me that means okay, Cammy is trans then, right? Like you can't <laughs> is <laughs> does M Bison secretly dream of being a woman and he's trans, or is Cammy a clone of M Bison that is living her truth? as Cammy because I support it wholeheartedly and she is for me the trans icon who is friends with Chun-Li. Uh, I'll t- I-, I like it. I didn't even know that. I didn't know that she was yeah. a clone. Her whole shtick is that she wants to save the other dolls who are the other clones of M. Bison who are all women. There's a lot <laughs> to unpack there. <laughs> so much to unpack. That was just they didn't think it through and now it is for me <laughs> canonically trans. You know what? I, I-, I like it. I like it. <laughs> uh, I did kind of briefly want to touch the Resident Evil series, which, um, okay, are they uh, good? No. They hit this line for me. I watched, I haven't seen all of them, but when I was a kid, uh, some of my friends were had, okay, the, the, the difference between like liking bad movies and having bad taste in movies was quite thin with some of the friends I had. Uh, he would go all out defending some of the, just the worst movies. Uh, but he loved the Resident Evil ones and showed me Resident Evil Distinct- Extinction, the third one, like 10 times. That's the one that they're out in the desert. It's like post everything getting nuked and now there's just zombies in the desert and somehow there's four more movies after that or something. Yeah, uh, that's the Vegas one, I believe. I guess. I mean, that would make sense why they're in the desert. <laughs> well, where you get to see like post-apocalyptic Vegas, which I thought was done very well. But um, yeah, those movies are definitely like that sort of like cinematic junk food. Yeah. Um, I did enjoy the first one a lot, but you have to like get over the fact that one, it doesn't follow the video games like at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll bring in some characters from the games, but like it's all about this Alice character who is not in the video games. Uh except no, for not even a little. I think she's in like the one of the Game Boy titles. Okay. But cool. <laughs> also like fans of the fans of the series don't recommend that one, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's I, I don't like it cuz the the games being games are like hey, this is horror and spooky, but they're also like campy and weird which a lot of japanese games in particular often would do of being like played both entirely straight and then also having completely goofy shit with like edgelord characters going huh guess we're here again and it'll just be like a silly balloon that's why i love final fantasy (laughs) cloud the edgelord goes out into midgar the post-apocalyptic city and then there's full like chocobos and moogles going like soldier on your sword and he's like sounds great man <laughs> that's great no notes i love kingdom hearts and in one scene you can have like oron from final fantasy 10 with his big sword going like ah, i've i'm past my use by date and then uh donald duck or like goofy is like gorsh oron it's great to meet you it's a perfect game perfect game <laughs> another the flip side of that is the House of the Dead series, which... I never watched those. 
I mean, I played one of the games at the very least. So the I, I've only seen the first one. Uh, I I did kind of want to discuss the director a little bit more. Uh, Uwe Boll. Oh yes. Basically, any video game <laughs> he could get his hands on, he would yeah. adapt into a movie, and it would be um, hilarious unintentionally. Yeah, I I remember we had to do an episode on Postal, and it's it's crazy how that movie like is i mean obviously hey the actual definition of politically incorrect rather than the like it's politically incorrect because we were just mean to gay people or whatever it's like early south park kind of like maybe this doesn't age very well and i feel kind of uncomfortable and then you kind of go like is it ever actually punching down and then it kind of gets you on its side by the end of it. It's so, like, earnest. <laughs> I've seen bits and pieces of that one, but what I did notice is that, like, it, by the time he made that one, he was very self-aware. Yeah. Like, he's a character in the movie, right? Yeah, he is. He And he talks about it. There's a point. It's, it's like an hour in. My girlfriend watched some like bits and pieces of the beginning and end while me and our, my co-host Abby were watching it fully. She, my girlfriend hated it because she didn't get the whole thing. And so it's like, this is awful. And we were by the end of it going like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> Cause like 60 minutes in, he's sitting there on stage, like as a, a <laughs> as a racist person going like, yeah, you know, it's it's these things, and I'm really glad that I could be in here and just ruin this movie. And then the creator of Postal, the actual guy, stands up and is like, you ruined my video game, you ruined my movie, and gets up on stage and tackles him. And it's like, there's 40 minutes of movie left. What is happening? I, I want to see it all the way through because it just seems like bonkers enough that I might actually enjoy it. And I did like, and maybe not for the reasons he intended, the other movies he made. Um, yeah. Alone in the Dark was another very interesting one. I haven't seen that one. I know I've seen at least one of the other of his, but I haven't seen that one. Blood Rain. And that one actually had a pretty stacked cast. Like, Ben Kingsley was in it. Uh, ben Kingsley has a weird filmography. When he you does. <laughs> He's directed 34 movies, which is unbelievable. He's directed 34 movies? Oh, you mean Yves Ball has. Still, he's directed 34 movies. Um, when it comes to movies that are like bad on purpose, because sometimes they'll like, okay, we can like pull some comedy out of this. And uh, I feel like when they try that, it's such a mixed bag on whether it works or not. Yeah, I personally, I'm not a fan. Um, like, I think the, sh- the first Sharknado hits this like midpoint where I I can get stuff out of it, but every sequel I can't. It's it's too winky, you know? It's like it's the difference between a pratfall that would like Chaplin or the Marx brothers would do of like ah uh, 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 and then doing a well a well-timed fall and someone going like this is funny, right? And they're like rolling around in the mud of like, <laughs> and I'm like, guys. I've seen it tried multiple times. I think Will Ferrell made one. Um, it was like supposed to be like a Mexican Western. Um, it had moments, but the the entire joke was this is an intentionally bad movie. Yeah, it's, it it it's too knowing. It it assumes that the reason why bad movies are fun is just because of the badness as opposed to the unintentionality to the badness. Like 
to get really crass, a fart is funny. Objectively, a well-timed fart in a social situation is really funny. A fart in a movie, not as funny because it's someone writing and then they fart. It's something that Dan Harmon, uh, the writer of Community and Rick and Morty, would uh, at one point refer to as a Monopoly guy based on a joke from Ace Ventura of like setting yourself up too much for a punchline. So the punchline only works because of you very clearly and in front of the audience setting up the punchline. Which is a point, it's uh, Ace points out that a guy looks like the Monopoly guy, but like you had to write in the script that guy looks like the Monopoly guy and he doesn't serve any other purpose in the movie. He's just there for him to dunk on him. In real life, that's funny, right? Comedy is like such a hard thing to get right, I think. Yeah. I it's it's I think like why like sitcoms in a later season can do jokes of like accurately nailing the particulars of their cast, but they wouldn't work in like the first episode because you only hired them for those traits or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Like could potentially work but they have to like find some kind of like balance where it's not too obviously winking at the audience because i feel like even birdemic with its sequels because apparently it had at least at least one sequel if not more but by the time they made that one it's like well we understand what birdemic is and we're gonna like try to make another one yeah it's i think it 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 works best when it's that almost like like Hot Fuzz is ruthlessly making fun of cop movies and is a cop movie, right? Like, you know, that we're making fun of it by celebrating it, I think is the good version of the bad on purpose movie. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, when it comes to movies that are like poorly made versus what is problematic. Now for me, I feel a lot more comfortable bashing a movie that has like bad messaging that is like yeah. actively causing harm. And yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, looking at it from that context, do you, would you do you have like an idea of what you would consider like the worst movie of all time uh, from that context? It's there's like there's so many examples, especially as the rise of like the evangelical movie complex has risen, where none of them, like, all of them, need to go to film school because they're incapable of writing a coherent movie. Uh, I, I there's not a one that comes close to being an actual cinematic experience. It is just homophobia and persecution complex cloaked as a movie, wearing the cape of a movie, which is why I hate God's Not Dead and God's Not Dead 2, which spends the whole time just pretending illegal cases exist to argue really to the audience that they're right and they should double down on their beliefs that they're allowed to be homophobic whenever they want and then cites a bunch of legal cases that are not about that. <laughs> My favorite one to pick is Intolerance by D.W. Griffiths because every like Birth of a Nation gets so hailed even though it's just KKK propaganda and everyone should look to Lois Weber instead of D.W. Griffiths. He's the worst guy and Birth of a Nation isn't even that good. He just didn't, he just copied Lois Weber and Alice Guy de Blasche doing the, the edit. Um, but intolerance is like, people went, hey, that KKK propaganda you made is racist. And he went, dude, I'm getting cancelled. It's like the tens equivalent of cancel culture and him like this is just like in babylon and in this era when people were persecuting jesus that's me and every, 
come on, man. <laughs> it's funny that you picked Intolerance because I picked Birth of a Nation. <laughs> <laughs> yes! And yeah, it's funny because um, AFI, they had Birth of a Nation on there for the 97 list. And for the 2007 list, they replaced it with Intolerance. And when I watched it for that reason, I'm like, this is just the 1916 equivalent of so much for the woke left. Exactly. Exactly. It it's it's why it frustrates me. They're like, it's it's just defending his right to be a bigot and saying that everyone else is actually intolerant. It's stupid and it's it's bad. It's not that great. Yeah, I will say, like te- from a technical standpoint, it is better than Birth of a Nation, but that's not saying much. I I in I have a film class uh, that I teach about like one that's you know a uh, Russian montage theory and one that's covers that early thing and I'm like I have to at least at some point mention D.W. Griffiths which is why there's a slide in my presentation that says D.W. Griffiths filmmaker and racist and in particular I frame it by showing them a scene from Intolerance and going look at the things he's doing and then I show them something that Lois Weber did Suspense which is a short it's only like 13 minutes rather than a full feature but it's from a couple years earlier and it's so much more innovative and every student is like holy they were doing that in like 1913 and I'm like yeah Celebrate her! It's like, oh, because this was a three-hour epic, it was shown in the White House, and the president was also racist, <laughs> so he, yes. of course he enjoyed it. I attempted to watch Birth of a Nation, um, and I couldn't get through it. I got like, an hour in, and I'm like, number one, this is infuriating, it's racist, and it's boring. It it's is very boring. Like, how do people enjoy, how did people enjoy this? Like... And it, it's not like it's just too old to be interesting because other old movies, like I said, suspense is enjoyable. Battleship Potemkin is not boring. Like it, like Metropolis is like one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, incredible movie, right? Uh, there was one that from Italy that I had to watch for an Italian cinema class, which I get, it is a little bit problematic because it does feature a white actor in blackface. Um, yeah. Common for the time. But it was called Cabiria. I haven't heard of that one. That's yeah, this a three-hour Italian epic, but it was, like, not nearly as... I mean, yeah, it does have a white actor in blackface, but he's not, like, a caricature like the, all the characters in Birth of a Nation. Right. The, the the kind of thing where they thought they were doing a nuanced portrayal, but looking back, you're like, oh, boy, there's just so much nuance missing. Yeah, I can't believe it was, like, hailed so for so long as one of the greatest movies of all time when uh, it's... It's kind of embarrassing that, you know, film enthusiasts were so into it. It's 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 because the structures that hail it as a great movie are also racist. Pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. So for our Q&A segment, I actually only got one question. <laughs> That's, I mean, hey, one question's fine with me. Uh, this one actually came from a guest that I also just recorded with. Is there a film uh, you saw that went from bad to better after a few watches? Ooh, that is an interesting question. I think there's some movies that I definitely have like changed opinion on over time where I kind of appreciate it differently. It's weird. One that comes to mind right now is actually Moulin Rouge. Just because Elvis came out, I really thought it was excellent. I thought it was really great. And I 
I personally, I think Baz Luhrmann is a hack and all of his genius is Jill Bilcock and Catherine Martin. Um, but Strictly Ballroom, his first movie, I think is genuinely good. He's someone, one of those people, I'm like, you had one story. But well, Moulin Rouge, I, I hated it when I first watched it. And then I, I watched it in an editing class um, and I, I kind of got what the editor, Jill Bilcock, was doing more. And it, I feel like it's gone from a movie that I hate to a movie that like I think is both incredible and awful but it just changes between those every single frame. And that's why it's a crazy movie. Is so I'm like, that's great. That's awful. That's brilliant. That's idiotic. <laughs> it, it is such a, like, a wild ride of a movie. And that might be why I gravitate towards it so much. I love Moulin Rouge. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for me, and I've mentioned, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but the one that comes to mind, like, right away is Van Helsing. Because uh, fair, fair. <laughs> I remember being so hyped up for Van Helsing when it came out because, like, the ad campaign for it was brilliant. Um, I saw the teaser poster a year before that. It's like, oh, my God, that's Wolverine, but he's going to be a vampire hunter. This is going to be so cool. It's going to be a tribute to these monster movies from the 30s. And then this movie comes out, and I'm like, that's it? This like watching somebody else play a video game <laughs> yeah my my sister who i mentioned has down syndrome she would watch movies repeatedly she'd like pick a favorite and then just watch it uh and van helsing was periodically one of those so i've seen that movie ambiently maybe 40 times to what happened with well with me uh i had friends who thought it would be funny to buy the movie for me on dvd because they knew i hated it <laughs> and that ironically is how i ended up liking it <laughs> love it no i I absolutely love that (laughs) it's now a halloween standard for me i watch it every year it is a lot of fun it's a roller coaster uh is it well made it's not the mummy but you know it's it's not the mummy but it's not the mummy three that is true that is true i'll take it over the mummy three any day of the week (laughs) oh wait that's negative i'll try to anyway i I enjoyed van helsing I liked The Mummy 3 when I watched it in cinemas. I, I missed the first two because I was too young and I loved The Mummy and I was like, hell yeah, I'll go see it. And I thought it was cool. It was only later when people were like, that movie sucks that I'm like, I, I guess it's not great. And I can see the problems with it, but I just had fun <laughs> watching them fight. <laughs> it's cool. I, I could see that too. I mean, it, ha- it has its moments. Um, I think what upset a lot of people, myself included, is I love Maria Bello. I think she's great. Mm. I don't like the idea of replacing Rachel Wise. Yes, yes, I agree that's a mistake. Like, she's, like, she is a face of the series. Like, you can't, like, just replace her no matter how good the actress is. I, I think it also suffers from the franchise problem. Some I, I feel like some franchises suffer because they make a mistake with the second movie of making it too tied to the first one. Like, Like, Temple of Doom is is not great rewatching it i can see why people i showed my girlfriend indiana jones for the first time uh, a couple months ago and we watched through all of them and like rewatching temple of doom in the light of day i was like oh my god it is so much more viscerally racist than i remember holy shit it's so it's mean yeah it's black-hearted um but because it's like just another adventure and also by the way short round should have come back absolutely but it's it it's so unrelated to the first one that you can just move on. But like 
with um, The Mummy 3, the second one is basically all about, oh, there's lingering consequences from the first one that we have to solve. And it means now it's like a whole different thing. And it just feels odd. Yeah, I could see that. I probably need to watch the third one again. Um, just because uh, I, I was like so tied to the first two. And I think another thing too, it's like a different director's vision for the third one. Yeah. Because it moved on from Stephen Summers to Rob Cohen. Usually there tends to be issues with that. I find. Not always, but sometimes. But a lot of the time. <laughs> I Oh, I did find another question. Uh, or not so much a question. I think it's more of like a recommendation. Uh, bad movies. This is coming from... Uh, oh, that last question was from um, Where is Ralph on Instagram with uh, underscores between the words. Cool. Um, He's also on the he will he's also my guest on the other episode that I recorded this week too so that oh, cool. we'll be hearing from him soon. Uh, this I'll one is be able to find out where he is. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, I think yeah. Uh, this one is from Milady of Disney on Twitter. Um, her um, recommendations are um, 1941 and Dragnet uh, as bad movies that she has always enjoyed. Mm, I haven't seen either of those. I watched 1941 because I'm a Spielberg completionist. I will say that for me, it's on the lower end of his filmography. Um, he was trying to do a parody of like World War II films. It has moments. Um, I do love the story that a gag that he intended to be in that movie showed up in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Really? It's the one scene where the bad guy comes in. I forgot the character's name, but he's like that creepy looking guy with the fedora and the glasses. And he brings out like the sticks and he like does this thing. And it looks like he's about to use them as a weapon. And instead he turns them into a coat hanger and like hands it off to someone. And it, it like, you like it's a coat <laughs> hanger instead of a weapon. Uh, that. that was originally supposed to be in 1941, and I think he liked that gag so much that he brought it back. That instead of using it there, he used it in a different movie. That's cool. Spielberg loves those kinds of visual gags, and I'm I'm here for it. It's not a terrible movie. Um, I have not seen Dragnet, but uh, yeah, it, this is like Dan Aykroyd and uh, oh gosh, uh, the John Belushi. I keep confusing the two because their first names are so similar. Um, the one John is the, the animal, animal house. Sense. Yeah, John. John's the original. Yeah, I was about to say Jim. I'm like, no, no. I think Jim is the other one. Their names are so similar. But yeah, <laughs> they, it's, they're really also similar. It, they brought back the Blues Brothers together. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was all right. Uh, but again, like in Spielberg's giant filmography, I think it's closer to the bottom. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, it's worth a look, especially if, like, you want to... I, I, I'm, like, a completionist. I even watched, like, his TV movies that, um... They were... The ones that aren't dual are interesting, <laughs> to say the least. It's hunting season. Applesauce, bitch. Uh, so, uh, that brings us to our next category, which is taglines. Okay, it's keeping in theme of, like, movies that are bad, but, you know, um, still kind of fun if, you know, you're willing to uh, just 
turn your brain off. I know I, I hate that phrase, turn your brain off and enjoy the ride, but it's one of those. First tagline, Earth Goes Dark. Earth Goes Dark? Oh, is it that one skyline? We got the genre right. Okay. I thought, yeah, there's this, that Strauss Brothers movie, which is which is not great, but has like, hey, it's got a cool, uh, very uh, yonic alien design. Uh, different, different sci-fi bad movie or like fun roller coaster oh, like what kind of era uh we're like 2010s 2010s yeah it's relative um, well i was gonna say recent but like that's not that recent anymore <laughs> the, the the host uh not quite uh i'll go for uh, ready for the second tagline what's the second one Mankind's finest achievement, our nation's proudest moment, a secret hidden for 40 years. Oh, is, oh. is this one of those ones where it's it's the Nazis on the moon? One of the... the... <laughs> uh, not necessarily the Nazis, but you are getting closer. Uh, okay, it I'm is very, The lunar activity is uh, definitely up there. Uh, let's see... Um, I'm going to skip a couple of these because a lot of these are the same. Um, the battles are over. The war begins. <laughs> I'll give you a hint because this one is a sequel. It's a sequel. Sequel, moon, sci-fi. God, I feel like I'm blanking on everything. Let's see. The invasion we always feared, an enemy we never expected. Um, I'm going to strike that one because that feels like that's not accurate. Wow. Wait, is it like a legacy sequel or was it? It's, it, it, the previous one came out only a couple years before that. Um, it has, let me see if I could throw some other, um, some other um, hints in there because I'm out of taglines that don't like uh, that aren't like generic or sound the same uh, features actors like let's see Tyrese Gibson is in it John Turturro Francis McDormand John Malkovich what um, is this movie? they are all supporting cast in this um, it is a part three also what what what, what what is this movie it's it's you're describing such a distinct movie and i feel like i <laughs> lots of explosions I, I don't know if i'm gonna i feel like i'm get, like getting pranked like you're describing <laughs> all right so i'm gonna go into like lead actors um this was led by shia labeouf Uh, it's like his biggest franchise oh is it transformers yes. is it transformers yep. there we go transformers dark of the moon okay it's so funny because i <laughs> i wiped them from my memory apart from the fact that i saw the third transformers as a teen having not seen any of the others uh specifically because a girl i had a crush on asked me asked me there and i thought it was a date and then she'd also asked this this guy there and it was a guy who ruthlessly bullied me but she didn't know that and so it was it was just the two of us sitting there awkwardly and i'm like i have no idea what's going on in this fucking movie and she was like i'm having a great time <laughs> i was like i'm not gonna take that away from you <laughs> i remember 
remember enjoying it. Uh, again, definitely don't like. Wouldn't say that this is high art, high cinema, but you know, it's mm. it's another roller coaster ride. That yeah, it's it's it it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, where can we find you on social media? You can find me. Uh, I'm on both Twitter and Instagram at Michelle You can find the podcast I'm on. Rating Descending uh, on like any of the normal podcast platforms. Uh, and if I'm allowed to plug something, uh, check out uh, on August 17th, this web series I've been working on uh, funded by Screen Australia. It's K-drama inspired called No Ordinary Love. Uh, yeah, August 17th. You can check it out right now on Instagram and Twitter just at No Ordinary Love, but it'll be on YouTube. August 17th is the premiere of the first two episodes. Oh, nice. I'll be sure to plug that on the our socials as well. Oh, thanks. It'll, it, I'm really excited for it. I think it's really good. Um, we're hoping if we get enough people watching it, we can make it a full series. Uh, so, hey, <laughs> go check it out. Support support us. Hi. Thank you for uh, appearing on a, po- a podcast. It did run a little longer than anticipated, but this was like a fun That's conversation. Totally so I very much enjoyed this. Thank you for thank you for coming on the podcast today. No worries. I had a fun time. It was it was my my honor. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, everyone at home, listen to Rating Descending. Great podcast. Uh, and I hope you are not just entertained, but somehow reborn together. <laughs>